Hey everybody, good morning. Did you already say hello to somebody? Yes. I'm feeling pretty good. We'll see. Hey, let's open our Bibles, Micah chapter 7. How does that sound? You remember that? How many of you like NASCAR? A few of you like NASCAR. You know, uh, today, is like, today is like the restart. Because it's been a few weeks. I don't know. I, I lost track how many weeks it's been since we've been in the book of Micah. We've been going chapter by chapter through the book of Micah. And uh, so we're kind of like restarting. We're getting back into it. And sometimes that's a little difficult. If you watch NASCAR and you see the restarts, you can win or lose the race on the restart. So what happens is, is you get these guys, you know, the, they have a caution and somebody crashes or something. So they got to get the race started again. And so they line up. Uh, two by two, and then and they're kind of moving slowly, and they get to the restart zone, and then and then when it's time to go, they go. But the problem is, if you if you jump on it, and you're in the front or anywhere really, you jump on it, you you can spin the tires, and guess what happens? First of all, you go nowhere, and then everybody behind you can like ram into you. So uh, the the moral of the story is don't spin the wheels, and uh, <laughs> where were we? Well, this is where we were. The big picture here in Second Chronicles chapter 24, this is kind of the big picture. We're looking at the, the book of Micah, and Micah being one of which kind of prophet? The minor prophets, but he's got a major message, someone said. It says, although the Lord, sp- Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. So really the message of the prophets, and this is the big picture, is the message of the prophets primarily was this, to draw people back to God. Why? Because they turned away from him. So uh, does that ever happen to any of us? No, not us. We do. It's a message for us. It's a message for us today. It's a message for us personally. It's a message for us as a people, as a country, but really the whole human race. This is a problem with the whole human race, that we turn away from God. And God says, turn back. I need you to turn back. I want you to turn back. And, and so that's why we're looking at this book, this uh, seven chapter. We're on the last chapter. We've got a few lessons here in chapter seven in uh, the book of Micah. But just a little bit of refreshing of our memory about this guy, Micah. Well, who was he? Uh, does anybody know who he was? He was a guy, and he was a contemporary. He wrote at the same, lived at the same time as Isaiah. You heard of Isaiah, right? He was kind of in the same uh, time frame as him, which was you know, 700 plus B.C. So he's writing back, and there's a few other guys, Hosea and Amos, who are also the minor prophets. Uh, Hosea and Amos were up in the northern kingdom, and Isaiah and Micah are down in the southern kingdom where Israel was kind of split and separated, right? Isaiah uh, was a person of influence. He was an advisor to the king, but Micah, was, he, he was just a farmer, really. But he had a big message, and, and really, uh, 
you know, he had a lot of things to say to these people. And God took this little farmer, this country preacher, and gave him this message to speak to all the people of Israel. But here, uh, 700 plus years B.C. to today, how many years is that, you math people? 2,000 plus 700, 2,800 years. Uh, 2,800 years later, he's still got a word for you and me. Why? Because this is God's word. This is the word of God, and God has saved it for you and for me. So just a, a quick refreshing on the chapters. Chapter 1, we, we see we have a choice to listen where, where we're going to listen to God or not. We always have that choice. Chapter 2, he talks about the people saying to Micah and to the other prophets, we don't want to hear what you're saying. We want you to tell us what we want to hear. And that's kind of a, a pretty popular notion now. Uh, even in churches where the people dictate to the preacher, this is what we want you to speak to us about. We want you to make us feel really good. We want you to tickle our ears. You want, we want you to make us feel uh, you know, good about ourselves, which is nothing wrong with that. But, but, but this is kind of the, the, the way things have been going. Tell us what we want to hear. Rather than tell us what God wants us to hear. That's really what we want if we're truly trying to follow him. Chapter 3, uh, we see that there was a lot of corruption in, 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 in the political realm, in the spiritual realm. There was a lot of corruption. Chapter 4, he talks about the, the uh, future hope that we have, that God has a plan. Chapter 5, the Savior comes from Bethlehem. Chapter 6, what does God want from us? What does God want from me? And that's where we got to this point here where in Micah 6, 8, where God says, you know, he has showed you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. That's what he wants. What does God want from me? We ask that question. He wants me to act justly. He wants me to do the right thing, to do what's just, what's right, what's fair. He wants me to love mercy. He wants me to be humble before him, to walk humbly with him. What happens when we don't? We reap what we sow. So that brings us to chapter 7. We've kind of caught up now. Are you all with me so far? Chapter 7 now, we pick it up here. And really... Uh, the, the title that I have for this message for today, the first part of Micah chapter 7 is, But as for me, Micah, he was a prophet, but as I said, he was a country farmer, he was a country preacher, and he was still very human. And so he looked around, and he, uh, Micah, he was grieved by what he saw. He looked around the nation of Israel, he was grieved, and, and he saw things that made him very uh, unhappy. Ultimately and, and primarily is that the people were turning away from God. This nation, this nation of Israel, who, who the Bible talks about them as being God's chosen people. God chose, he put his hand upon the nation of Israel as his chosen people, and his chosen people are turning away from him following after all kinds of idols, all kinds of false 
uh, idols and worshiping all kinds of things that they shouldn't. So that's where we are. Micah chapter 7. Let's start off in verse 1. He says, What misery is mine? I'm like one who gathers summer fruit at the, at the gleaning of the vineyard, and there is no cluster of grapes to eat. None of the early figs that I crave. The first words he uses there, what misery is mine, and, and uh, some of the other translations say, woe is me. Woe is me. He starts off, and, and again, he's not going to finish with that kind of thought, but that's, this is where he starts off with, woe is me. And he, and, and he basically, in the, in the next five, six verses, he gives us a whole list of things that uh, he's grieved about, things that he's upset about. And I had to think about this, you know, woe is me. Did any of you ever say that? Yeah. You know, I woke up this morning and, and uh, I had like a bad dream or something. I don't even remember what it was. But, you know, you just like you're in this bad space. And that's where it was, like, woe is me. And I had my own thing, my own list. We all have our lists, right? We are, our situations are all different. Woe is me. And we start to have this pity party, right? Woe is me. My life is so bad, or my country is so bad. We have all these different things we can talk about. Our situation, the job you have maybe, maybe your home situation, maybe your health situation. Why, you know, is this happening? Woe is me. How am I going to deal with this? So I want you just to say that with me, please. Woe is me. Just get it out, okay? Just get it over with. We're going we're gonna to see in verse 7 that we, we shouldn't stop there, and we don't have to stop there. But even Micah, the prophet, Micah, who is anointed by God, really he's anointed to write these words for us today, he still feels that way. Sometimes then we, we, we feel this way, and then we feel guilty. Oh, I shouldn't feel this way because I'm a Christian. I shouldn't feel that way. Well, he's, he's human. You're human. I'm human. And sometimes life just stinks, right? Woe is me. It's like, how is this happening? It says there, to, there that he, he's like, like one who goes out to gather summer fruit. And the idea there is that the gleaning, the gleaning is after it's all done. So he's going out to gather fruit. It's already all done. So why are you out looking for fruit now? And, and, he's going, and he sees that there's nothing there. Maybe that's kind of like our lives sometimes too. You know, we, we and maybe our job and like, uh, you know, we're, we, we want to gather this summer fruit, but it's already passed. There's nothing there. What are we going to do? What was me? What was my situation? Look at chapter 7, verse 2. He says, The godly have been swept from the land. Not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. He, he says, where are the godly people? Where are the upright people? Looking around our nation, looking at the church today, the church as a whole, the church at large, where are the godly people? How is this affecting our nation? You know, I, I, I quoted this before, you know, that they say, they've done statistics, the studies where the statistics say that you know, 85% of Americans proclaim to be followers of Jesus Christ. 
But do you see that in, in our society today? Do you see that kind of influence and impact? Where are the godly? Where are the upright? Even in the church, they're gone. David says in Psalm 12, he says, Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. You think back to the founding fathers and, and you know, People have tried to rewrite history saying it wasn't really that way. But, but, but you look back and you see that the, the early founding fathers, and you can find, I got a picture downstairs that shows them, uh, you know, praying together because they had a faith in God. Where are the godly? Where are the godly in our lives? Verse 3 says, Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts, the judge accepts bribes, the powerful dictate what they desire, and they all conspire together. You know, what, what do we see here? See here, they're, both hands are kind of ambidextrous in doing evil. There's like, we found lots of different ways to be corrupt, right? He talks about uh, rulers and judges and powerful ones. We can look at the, the government. We saw that in chapter 3, the the corruption in high places, not just in politics, but in, even in the religious situation. That's nothing like today, right? We don't see that today, although you see it like in the news, like every, it seems like every month there's some new corruption that's coming out in the news. Somebody is getting caught for something that they are doing on a national level, on a local level. It happens right here in our state. Look at verse 4. He says, The best of them is like a briar, the most upright worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman has come, the day God visits you. Now is a time of their confusion. He says the briar and the, and the thorn hedge you know, there's a, there's a plant in the backyard. Excuse me one second. I had this plant in the backyard, and it's, uh, it's got these wicked thorns in it. And I didn't know what it was, and then I was asking my wife, I said, what is that thing? Because it like, it's just like plain and ugly most of the year. I said, what is that? She says, oh, that's a beach rose. Like... Like she went and got that somewhere and brought that and put it in our backyard. So when I touch it, it's got these really bad thorns. I'm going like, stop that from growing. It's getting too big. You can't do anything. He's saying that's what, that's what it's like. The best of them, just like a briar. You can't get close to them. It's like a thorn hedge. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to get you. But he says at the end of that verse that there's a day that God visits. So, so it, it's not going to go on forever. It can't go on forever. Even in our country, we say, God bless America. But, you know, if we keep going down the track we're going, he, he can't keep blessing America forever if we keep going down the same track. Woe is us, I think is what we should be praying 
The day God visits you, the, the day God sends his hand upon people, upon nations. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend, even with her who lies in your embrace. Be careful of your words. For a son dishonors his father, and a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are the members of his own household. Wow. So we're, we're talking about the government before. We're talking about uh, our jobs, perhaps. We're talking about our home, perhaps. And now he's talking about the family. He's there, it's like, who can you trust? Can you trust anyone? Neighbors and friends, even a spouse, he says. These are desperate times he's talking about here. Woe is me. What are we going to do? Now, you know, again, he's given us this list of all these different things, and he's human. He's looking around. He's affected by it all. You and I, we look around in our lives and our situations. We're affected by it. And there are certain things we can do to make some of these things better. You know, for example, we need to vote. We need to do what we need to do. We need to, to live upright lives to affect our society. We need to get involved in different ways. That There are different things that we can do, and, and that's not what this is about today. We need to do the best we can to change things. But, look at verse 7. This is where we pick it up. This is where Micah kind of says, but. He says, but as for me, I watch in hope. For the Lord. And I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. What are we going to do? What do do you and I need to do as believers? What do you and I need to do as people who have a faith in God? Are we just going to, you know, complain? Are we just going to, you know, hit the panic button? What do we need to do? What can we do? Micah tells us right here, he says, but as for me... He says, I'm going to watch in hope for the Lord. He says, I'm going to wait for God, my Savior, because my God will hear me. You see, it's a choice. It really is a choice. You know, when I woke up this morning, like I said, I was in that place. And I was thinking about these words. I was thinking about this message, and I'm saying, this is just great. I I am going to try to talk to these people about what the right thing to do is, and I am stuck in the wrong thing, Right? But I was just reminded he said, that, that what, I'm gonna, what I was going to talk about this morning is that it was a choice. You see, Micah looked around and he was affected by it. He says, woe is me, the misery that he's feeling is mine. He says, but I look to the Lord. He says, I'll watch. I look to the Lord. I'll wait. I'll pray because God will hear me. It reminds me, right, who else said something like, like that? But as for me, what? I got it. Yeah. But as for me, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you did say that. I I did hear that. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is saying those words in Joshua chapter 24. He's speaking to the people. He's near the end of his life. He says, Listen, you have a choice. You have a choice. 
Are you going to go this way? Or are you going to this, go this way? He says, but as for me, I've made a choice. Me and my household, we are going to serve the Lord. We've made a choice, the direction that we are going to take. When all, perhaps many around him at that time, were choosing to follow false idols. We need to make a choice. What am I going to do? Am I just going to wallow in the woe is me? Again, it's not wrong that you feel that way, that I feel that way, but, but what do we do after that? He says, but I looked for the Lord. Matthew Henry, uh, Henry any, anybody know who Matthew Henry is? Barbara? Hello? Hi. Barbara's here, by the way. If I can be here, she can be here, right? Or is that the other way around? Matthew Henry wrote this. He said, The prophet saw no safety or comfort, speaking about Micah, but in looking to the Lord and waiting on God his salvation. When under trials we should look continually to our divine Redeemer, that we may have strength and grace to trust in him and to be examples to those around us. That's a powerful statement. It really is. There's no safety and comfort in, in looking around, but in looking to the Lord and waiting uh, on Him. But he says that we should always be looking to Him, especially under trials, but that we could have strength and grace. But, but this, the part that caught me was this part to be examples to those around us. What, it, what are you and I like uh, under trials when we're facing different kinds of things? What, what do people see in, in our lives that we're, we're looking, we're doing our best to look towards the Lord, or we're just complaining and, and, and uh, you know, singing the woe is me song. <laughs> I remember this morning, and uh, I, you know, I, I teach my grandkids all kinds of good stuff, and I taught them this song. Why is everybody always picking on me? And I forgot where that came from. Charlie Brown. He's a clown. Why is everybody... So if you hear them singing that, you know, you'll know where it came from. <laughs> Why is everybody always picking on me? Woe is me. But as for me, but for me, he says, I look to the Lord. So the first thing there, he says, I watch and hope for the Lord, and that's translated different ways. Uh, the New American Standard says, but as for me, I watch expectantly for the Lord, the English Standard Version, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. That's not on there. But as for me, I'll look to the Lord. The King James says, I will look to Him, look to the Lord, but I will look to the Lord. It's this, it's this idea of, of focusing, where we're going to look. Are we going to keep looking at everything and how bad everything is, or are we going to look to Him? That's what's going to make the difference in our lives. Where is our focus? Where are we looking? Where are we watching? We're watching for Him. Psalm 25, you see it on the, on the uh, screen there. Uh, the, the writer says, My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only He will release my feet from the snare. Psalm 123, I lift up my eyes to you to you whose throne is in heaven. 
That's a choice that we make. It's not, I don't think it's even natural. I don't think it's natural. The flesh is at war with the spirit. It's natural for the spirit to want to look towards the Lord. But our flesh wants to look at everything bad, everything that's horrible, everything that's, you know, miserable, misery. What misery is mine? I wonder what do people think about you and me? That's a miserable person. And he calls himself a Christian. He's miserable. He's always complaining. Woe is me. He's always miserable. Or do they see something different? But as for me, I will look to the Lord. It's a guy that he, you know, things can get bad in our lives, but, but there's a focus, there's a look towards something different. Towards one who's called Yahweh. The one who has the hope, the one who has the answer. He says, I will look expectantly. We, we heard Alex talk about that a few weeks ago. This idea of hope is this confident expectation. I will watch expectantly for the Lord. The second thing he says there is, I will wait for God, my Savior, right? Now, how many of you like to wait? I don't like that word. But that's what he says. He says, I will wait. I will look to him. I will watch and hope for him. And I will wait for God, my Savior. I'll wait for God, who is the Savior, who is going to save me. He's going to save the situation. That's what it says there. Look at the verse. Uh, didn't go, did it? Let me go. Here we go. Psalm 38. I, will, I wait for you, O Lord. And you will answer, O Lord, my God. And, and Titus, he talks about, which is the next book we're going to go to, by the way. He talks about the blessed hope that we have. We wait for the blessed hope. God is going to send his son Jesus, right? We have a hope that we're waiting for. The hope that's the anchor for our soul. I wait for God, my Savior. So we look to Him. We wait for Him. And finally, what do we do? We pray. We talk to God, right? We talk to Him. Why? Because what does it say here? He says, my God will hear me. My God will hear me. I like what this one commentator, Barnes, says, and I have it up on the screen. He who is ever more ready to hear than we to pray. He's, he's, he's more ready to hear than we are to pray. Why don't we just pray? Probably a lot of reasons, right? We're stubborn. We're proud. We don't believe. We think, uh, you know, I got this. I'll call you if it gets real bad, but I got this one. Well, you know what? It's bad already. So let's just cut to the, cut to the chase and just start praying and saying, God, look, look at how bad this is. And God is ready to hear us. He says he will hear me. Now, there are times, the Bible talks about times when he won't hear us, right? A couple of situations that I, that I, uh, 
am aware of. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. So if we are, you know, if we are harboring, if we've, you know, hearts are full of some kind of evil wickedness, and, and we expect that God's going to just hear everything we pray, sometimes God says you need to get that sorted out. You need to get right with that situation. The second one is, is kind of related to it, too, where 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 7, when speaking about husbands and wives, and, and, and it says to the husband that they need to be uh, considerate, they need to be treating their wives with re- respect and with honor, or what? At the end of the verse it says, or so that your prayers will not be hindered. So it's kind of like this, you know, we're, we're, we're not treating our wives in the proper way, and then we're, we're you know, we're spiritual and we're praying, and, and God says, you know, I really, I can't hear you because you need to get this, this thing, you need to get this thing right. It's like, you know, you, you teach the kids right to say please, you know, and they, and they say, uh, I want some milk. And then, I, and then I say, did you hear anything? Did you hear something? I didn't hear anything. And then they know, and they say, oh, please can I have some milk? They say it the right way. You see, it's the same kind of thing. We, if, if we're treating each other poorly, and then we're going to be all spiritual and pray for these miracles to happen, and God says, I'm sorry, but I can't quite hear you. But those are more the exceptions to the rule, okay? The rule is this, that God hears us, that God wants us to pray. God wants us to come to him and tell him about our lives and what's going on or what's not going on in our lives. So, does Micah's situation apply to us today? I think so. I think so. You know, again, it's woe is me. It's, it's, that's where we are. Maybe, maybe we look around at our society. We look around at our world. We look around at our jobs, our families. We look around at and what's going on, and, and we say that woe is me. And, and maybe our own lives. Maybe our own lives are a disaster. What do we do? What is Micah telling us to do? He says we watch and hope. We look to him and we wait for him we turn to him and we pray that's what we do you know I think one of the things that uh, oops I turned it off there it is one of the things that we do after at the end of the service here is we have people who pray and we've been doing that for probably since the beginning, I think, for a long time anyways. But you know, I have seen through the years that people who have come and asked for prayer have seen wonderful, incredible things happen when they, when they simply come and ask for prayer. But I've also seen that people that I know are going through very difficult situations, but they will not come and ask for someone to pray with them and for them. 
I, I don't quite understand it. I go and, and when I'm in a situation, I'll go to these guys and say, can you pray for me? Because this is like something I need help with. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I just want to encourage you to pray. To take advantage of this thing we call prayer because the enemy is the one who says don't pray because he's not going to hear you. God doesn't say that. God says here, my God will hear me. He's telling us that he's going to hear you. The enemy says don't bother because he's not going to listen anyways. Pray for he hears you. So, but as for me, but as for me and my house, we have a choice. Woe is me. He starts with woe is me and he ends with my God. My God will hear me. Next time I want to go to the next uh, section there where he talks about what happens when we fall, what happens when we fail. Pretty powerful stuff here. I think that, uh, that certainly applies to us today as well. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We see later in the chapter, Micah says, who is a God like you? There, there is no one like you. The way you forgive us, the way you work in our lives, the way you hear us when we pray, the way that our lives are changed just by the focus of our lives where we look to you. God, our lives do stink sometimes. They do, are full of uh, horrible things, but we look to you. We wait for you. We pray to you because you'll hear us. Help us today, Lord. We're just human. We're... We're no different than Micah was. We're no different than, than anybody else is. We're human and we, we struggle. We have trials and troubles and all kinds of things that are part of this life. But I pray for your encouragement and by your Holy Spirit, you would encourage us to simply keep following, keep focusing on you, looking to you. For you are the God who, who does uh, immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. as we come to you, as we pray, as we seek your face. I pray this morning as well for anybody who perhaps in this room has never surrendered their lives to you and, and are lost, looking for hope, looking for answers today. You can simply come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I need you. I need you in my life. I, I am without hope. And so I come and I ask you, to forgive me. I ask you to come into my life and save me and be my Lord today, here, June 25th, 19, excuse me, 2017. <laughs> Lord, hear our prayers. You're more willing to hear than we are to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.